Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Behold the Lamb of God. This year, in celebration of Advent, we will be focusing on some aspect of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So, before I even begin, I'd just like to remind everybody that my notes are going to be online because I will kind of reference uh, several passages that I won't necessarily read. But if you guys have any questions, you can always go back onto the church website and uh, get my notes and see what passages that I do mention. So, as we discuss, I'm going to be talking about the Behold, the Lamb of God, and specifically I'm going to be focusing on the text that we already read today with Psalm 51 and also um, bringing in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 as well. And what I'd like to focus on as we go into these texts is that the concept that all of us sin, but when we sin, we should run to God, knowing that the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, takes away our sin and secures God's mercy for us. So like I talked about, we're going to be talking about David today, but as I uh, begin, I'd like to kind of introduce and remind you guys of exactly who David was, because he wasn't just an ordinary king or anything. David was one of the greatest kings that Israel ever saw. I mean, David was the one that we see that was anointed by the Holy Spirit for God to take over the kingdom of Israel. And he is also the one that had extreme faith in the Lord all the time to the point that he was even able to slay a giant when he killed Goliath. He's also the one that we saw time and time again when he was, that God provided means for David to escape Saul's wrath when Saul was trying to kill him and retain the kingdom of Israel. He's also the one that we see that God promises that the Messiah is going to come from David's line. And that we see this in Jeremiah 33, 17, 33, 19 through 21, Psalm 132, 10 through 14. And we also see it previously in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 14, where it says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will rise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. So obviously we see that God had great importance for David, and David is one of the greatest kings. But we also can understand that David was a great king because as we study his life and we study who the Messiah would be in the Old Testament, scholars have actually developed a term called the Davidic king. So you don't get that term if you're just an ordinary king, but they brought that term because David was so great, they knew that the Messiah was going to be from his line, and they knew that the Messiah was going to be an even greater king, so he had to be a Davidic king. That's why they kind of developed that term. So we kind of see as we go into this text of how important David was and how great of of a king he was. He wasn't just an ordinary person that we hear about in the scripture. So as we see this, he's a great king who wrote Psalm 51 for his repentance. But why did David have to write this Psalm for his, to repent? So to answer that, we need to look back into 2 Samuel chapter 11, where David kind of begins his, his trail of sins. So, as we see in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David is kind of back in the palace and it's during the time of war and he actually sent Joab and his men out to uh, the battlefield to kind of start fighting on his behalf while he remains back in the palace. And then one day he kind of wakes up from his, 
uh, bed and he starts walking around his rooftop of his palace because he's a great king and he has a great um, rooftop. And he sees this woman taking a bath. And he gets very intrigued and starts, um, you know, kind of interested in her and he begins to acquire her. So up into that text, we kind of see her as being a woman, but once he acquires her, that's when we find out that it's Bathsheba. And Bathsheba, who is married to Uriah. It's very specific that it mentions this. And Uriah was not just an ordinary man. Or Uriah, if we actually go back, is a man that fought alongside David when he was running away from Saul and hiding out in the caves. Uriah was also with David when he was hiding out in the cave and was able to cut off the corner of Saul's robe. So David knew Uriah. They were good buddies. They were, they were um, uh, company mates, I guess you could kind of say, or teammates, that they weren't just, you know, he kind of just knew that he was just a soldier or something like that. They fought alongside each other, and they knew each other very well. But however, David, knows, knowing this, still sends for Bathsheba and still brings her back to the palace where we find out that he ends up sleeping with her. So David, you know, already knew who she was and then commits adultery with her. And then to make matters worse, Bathsheba shows back up on his doorstep and says, hey, I'm pregnant. So now what does David do? Because now he just not only committed adultery with one of his uh, great friend's wives, but he also has evidence of it with her having a child. So David decides to... Um, instead of, you know, admitting his guilt, he kind of continues down this trail of sins that we see him committing, and he takes another step down that trail. So what he decides to do is he decides, hey, maybe if I bring back Uriah from the battlefront and he's able to spend the night with his wife, then he'll think that he was the one that conceived this child instead of myself. So he sends for Uriah, he brings him back from the battlefront, and this is where he's, you know, he's probably hoping that he's going to get away with it, but instead, Uriah decides to be faithful to his men, and he talks about how he can't go back home and he can't spend a night with his wife because he, his men that are on the battlefront are sleeping in the tents and taking care of the, the war. So instead of him being able to enjoy the pleasures of going back home and away from that battlefront, he wants to spend the night and sleeps in front of the palace. So now David's thinking, oh my gosh, he's not, what am I supposed to do now? So he takes another step down that trail of sin where he goes and decides to make sure that Uriah asks him to spend another night, and he goes, you know what, you know, I'll use uh, alcohol because it's a great device you know, to make people um, lower their morality, and then hopefully by getting him drunk tonight, then he'll go back home and he'll spend the night with Bathsheba. So David does so, but Uriah still is so faithful that even with him being drunk, does not return home to spend the night with his wife. Instead, he again sleeps at the entrance of the palace. So now David is again confronted with the aspect of what do I do? You know, he knows that he sinned. So he takes another step down that trail of sin. And this time he decides that now that Uriah is turning, returning back to the battlefront, that he's going to send with him a note to Joab that tells Joab to basically kill Uriah. He doesn't directly say, but what he does say is that he goes, send him out into the thickest where the battle is the hardest and the most dangerous. And then to make matters worse, so now that there's already a high chance of him just dying um, during the conflict, but he says, withdraw away from Uriah. So basically leave him out, uh, stranded out there. So Joab gets these orders and he fulfills them and Uriah ends up dying in the battle. What allows David to allow Bathsheba to mourn and then marry her 
and it appears at this point that David is going to get away with his sin. So at this point is when we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where David is confronted with the prophet uh, Nathan. So Nathan tells him a story to conflict him of his sin, where Nathan describes two men that are, one is a rich man that has many livestock, has many cattle, many sheep, many lambs, and he lives next to a poor man that only has one uh, lamb. Now the rich man has a visitor come to him and spending the night, and he wants to provide him a meal and a a feast. So the rich man doesn't want to kill any of his own livestock, but instead what he, wants to, what he does is he steals that one lamb, that single lamb that the poor man cared so much for, and ended up sacrificing him for the feast. And this is where we pick up in the text that when David hears this, he says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. And this is when Psalm 51 was written. So let's dig into Psalm 51, where we kind of see that all sins, all sin and all need forgiveness. So David realizes when, the, when Nathan confronts him that the Lord is displeased with the sin that he committed. So he runs towards the Lord and we pick up in verse one and two, this is where David makes a plea for mercy. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my inequity and cleanse me of my sin. So David is here asking the Lord to have mercy on him because we got to remember that during this time, this is old covenant time where David, just for his first act, his first step down that trail of sin, he should have been put to death. And we see that in Leviticus 20.10 and Deuteronomy 22.22. So just for that adultery, not alone, you know, deceiving Uriah and murdering and ending up murdering him, he should have already been put to death. So he wants God to start forgiving him and wants God to start cleansing him. So then he moves into verse three and six, where he starts confessing his sins. And this is where he says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. So despite David being such a great king, he's still a person that sinned. So we see that he knew, and you got to think about this, I referenced that David knew that the Messiah was coming from his line. Back, that occurred back in 2 Samuel 7, 7, 12 through 14. And he knew that he was going to be great. And he knew that he was a man that desired God's heart. But, and he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Yet he knew at the time when he sinned that the only way that he could be redeemed was to go back and run towards the Lord. So how does David ask to be cleansed? That's what we see in verse 7, that David asked to be cleansed with hyssop. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. So we see this use of this hyssop, what was also used in other verses in the um, Old Testament. And this was actually, uh, Scott talked about this back in Exodus 12, 22, where it says, take a bunch of hyssop, 
dip it into the blood of the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter the houses and strike you down. So it was the hyssop that applied the blood that allowed for the Passover to occur that the Israelites celebrated every single year. And we also see hyssop being used in the New Testament when right before Jesus died, when the, it was actually the branch that provided the sour wine to Jesus at that, those final moments. And we see that in John 19, 28 through 30, where it says later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So we see in these three passages, the link with the hyssop, and we see in these three passages that the Lord is providing forgiveness and restoration. In Exodus, he provides it through the faith of actually taking and placing the blood on the doorframe that allowed the uh, destroyer to pass over them. In John, we see that is Jesus dying on the cross that we're very familiar with and him providing forgiveness to all that believe in him. But why did the Lord provide it to David at this time? Well, in Psalm 51, we know that it's David's response to the displeasure that he brought to the Lord with, through his sin. So we also see that it is David as he runs towards God and is this reason why God is willing to provide it for his repentance towards the sin. And we got to remember that David did this even though he knew that God was unhappy with him. Even though he knew that his sin that I talked about, he should have been put to death in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But he doesn't try to make himself right. He doesn't try to restore himself in God's eyes before running back to him or making certain guilt sacrifices or burnt offerings on his own. Instead, he runs back to the Lord. David was a man after his own heart. We know this because it talks about in Acts 13, 22. So David was familiar that he wanted to please the Lord. He knew that the Lord was displeased with his sin. So therefore he runs back to the Lord and he knows by pleading with him that it's only God that is able to provide the forgiveness and the repentance that he needs. We also know that before this, David had just been um, pretty much hunted down by Saul, you know, because Saul ran away from the Lord when he lost his Holy Spirit and his kingdom. And he wanted to retain that kingdom by killing David. So David knew that the Lord could take away that Holy Spirit. And this is what he's talking about in verses 11 through 12. So he did not, when he says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So he knows that the Lord can take away that Holy Spirit and he knows that it is the Lord that can restore him and he needs the Lord to be able to and willing to keep that Holy Spirit. And this is why he's running back towards the Lord and pleading with him. So it is at this moment that we need to remember that David, like I talked about, he was the term, the Davidic king. He was a great king for Israel. And is even the king that you could even argue that is what they measured all other kings to be up to. And that's, again, what I was talking about with the Davidic king rising up, that the Messiah would be even greater than the king of David. But when he sinned, he still had to run towards the Lord. He still had to repent towards the Lord instead of running away 
to try to make things right on his own. This was the difference between David and Saul. David confesses while Saul tried to cover up, which which gave the reason for God to forgive David. So, as we see that David sinned, and he wasn't strong enough to even abstain, even though he's such a great king from sin, do we think that we are any better than David? So how do we kind of apply this word as we think about this, and what do we do when we do sin? So let's switch into applying this word. So as we think about these texts, and we read them, do we remember that we are all sinners, that we talked about earlier this morning, that no matter how great of a person, a leader, or a king we are, we still sin? Do we remember that it is only through God's mercy that we can be saved? And that we also need to remember that God knew this. I mean, like I, t- I keep hitting on the point, David was one of the greatest kings of Israel, yet he needed to be redeemed through the Lord. He still sinned and he still needed forgiveness. And that's why the Lord knew that this was going to occur. That is why we saw um, back in week one of our series with Jer that with Abraham and Isaac, that the Lord needed to provide a lamb. And then we knew that he, we still needed to be, have our sins washed away with the blood. And he temporarily solved that with the, with the sacrifice of the Passover, right? That we saw last week. And now we see an, one of the greatest people for Israel that still needs the Lord to be able to be forgiven and that he still sinned in his life. And then next, you know, and then we kind of see ultimately that we finally get the lamb, we see Jesus dying on the cross and forgiving our sins. So he was setting it up. I, don't, I, I want you guys to understand that as we kind of walk away from here, that we all sin, and it wasn't just you know, a single act that the Lord realized, oh, you know what, I need to fix this problem. He was setting it up through the entire old, te- through the beginning of time and through our series that we kind of are highlighting. So do we remember that? Do we also remember, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that David kind of knew that he was sinning because he tried to, he kept taking a step down that trail of sin and kept trying to cover up his acts. But when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, he realized that it brought displeasure towards the Lord. Do we, when we're confronted by something like that, that somebody brings and confronts our sins, do we acknowledge it? I mean, let's think about this. David could have just said, I mean, he was the king. He could have just said that he was soulmates with Bathsheba that he was born this way and that he was destined to be with Bathsheba instead of admitting to his sin. I mean, he could have just said, you know, it was destiny that I woke up in the middle of the night and I walked around my rooftop and I saw Bathsheba taking a bath and that therefore it wasn't sin. Um, David could have also just had Nathan put to death. I mean, we know that it wasn't out of his realm. I mean, we, he already did that and killed Uriah and We also know that Uriah was, I would argue, even closer to David than Nathan. I mean, Uriah was there when David cut off the corner of Saul's robe. I mean, David was also the king, let's be honest. I mean, kings can pretty much almost make any rules they want, so he could have just did what he wanted and not listened to Nathan. But instead, David did listen to Nathan, and David did acknowledge his sin. So, He listened to Nathan, he knew that the Lord was displeased with him at this moment, and he also ran towards the Lord to be redeemed. So do we remember that Jesus has already provided forgiveness to our sins and therefore able to run right towards him? 
Do we remember that because of Jesus, it does not matter where we stand in the Lord's eyes or how terrible our sin is? That God still loves us and God will still forgive us. I mean, let's be honest. David sinned, like I talked about, in a manner that he should have been put to death. I don't think there's any greater sin. I know that sin is all equal, but I mean, let's think about it. Those consequences, that is, that is pretty much the greatest consequence. And yet, David did not try to make anything right in his own eyes, in the Lord's eyes, or do anything on his own, but he immediately ran back towards the Lord. So it is during these moments do we ask ourselves and do we realize when we're confronted with this sin, do we run back towards the Lord like David or do we run away from him like Saul? Do we run towards the Lord knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and our sins are already forgiven or do we try to take control of our own lives and run away like Saul did? Now, as I conclude, I'd like to pray for us but also think of no better way than to come towards the Lord by coming to his table. So let us pray, and then Brett will lead us in communion. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we are just in awe with your power. We are in awe with your mercy. Um, Sometimes it might not be easy for us to even understand that in the beginning, you knew that we would all sin, and that you knew that the only way that we could be redeemed was through you, Lord, So you set up sending your son down towards us and you providing him being a perfect lamb, a lamb of God that would die on the cross as a sacrifice to wash away our sin, to provide us the forgiveness and salvation, the connection to you, Lord, for us to have a personal relationship with you. Let us just remember that, Lord. Let us just, um, I, I can't thank you enough for that, Lord. And let us just, Continue to not want to displease you, not to live in sin, but run towards you, Lord, to to honor you, to carry out your word. And we just love you so much, Lord. Amen. Thank you. And Brett, you can... Thanks to Ryan for sharing. Um, I'm going to lead us to the table now out of this. And I want to encourage us, this whole month we're kind of focusing on the Lamb of God. But today the theme, you know, as Ryan and I talked about this, that I really want to encourage is for every one of us, if King David can be trapped in this, don't be shocked that you and I are. But see, there's a temptation we have because our culture does not tell us to run to God when we have sinned. Did you hear what Ryan was saying? There was a huge temptation for David An ancient Eastern monarch does not get rebuked and take it. He doesn't do that. Prophets have short lives if you confront the king. But David did not make excuses for his sin. He did not wrap himself in his authority and threaten the prophet. He broke. And he said, I've sinned. And if you can imagine for a while, for King David, he not only broke and confessed the sin, he didn't even keep all of that in private. For thousands of years, the people of God gather and read David's confession of his own sin. How would you like to have that happen? This week, we're going to confess sin with our brother again. Let's remind ourselves of what he did. 
But that's what David did. You and I live in a culture that encourages us to define our sin down, to say it's not that bad. Some of you caught the, the kind of joke that I mean, you know, this person's my soulmate. We've got excuses. We've got terms. We like to hide what we're doing rather than simply coming clean. But the good news that we celebrate every year at Christmas, see, we, we like to clean Christmas up. Everybody likes sweet baby Jesus in the manger. We don't like to think of what it means and why he came and what necessitated his coming. We, we want to rub those edges off. But we do ourselves a disservice when we do that. Because we do that and then we go out and you struggle with sin. So do I. And then we don't know how to handle it. And we don't want to gather with God's people and we feel distant from God. But here's what we do. We do exactly what David did. We say, I I've sinned. We pray exactly what we prayed this morning. Psalm 51, and we say, have mercy on me, O God. God, I need the same thing the children of Israel needed in uh, Egypt. I, I need you to take that hyssop, and I need the blood of the Lamb put on me so that death passes over me, Lord. I deserve death, but because of Christ, I receive mercy. And so we're going to come to the Lord's table. And again, I, I, I hope today, I want it to be, if you have struggled, if you're in a place where you realize there is sin, here's what we do. We come and we confess and we receive forgiveness and we start with a fresh start today. We receive mercy. We receive grace and we go out. And again, the, the amazing thing is there were consequences out of David's sin. But notice what consequences weren't there. God didn't break his covenant with David. It wasn't suddenly, okay, I'm rethinking this Messiah thing. And in the very genealogy of Jesus, Uriah is mentioned one time, as far as I know, in the New Testament. Right in the genealogy, that as you trace back to who Jesus came from, he came, he was the son of David through Uriah's wife. Right there. It's still there. God worked salvation even in the midst of David's mess and sin. That's not the way you and I would be. We would say, well, David had other kids. We'll bring the Messiah through that. But see, the Messiah comes not uh, somehow trying to ignore our sin, but to solve our sin, to heal us of our sin. And so even through this horrible thing we just heard about, God is still able to work and work good and work salvation. And he doesn't hide that even in the coming of Christ. It's pretty amazing when you look at it in the genealogy of Jesus, all of the sins that are there are brought and laid out, even in a boring genealogy. It's kind of coded, but it says, hey, Judah and Tamar, terrible thing. Messiah's coming through that. David, Bathsheba, terrible thing. Messiah is coming through that. That is what God does to work salvation for you and me. So I want to encourage you today, receive grace and mercy. We're, uh, we're going to come to the table in a moment, and when we pass the elements out today, there's, Dave's actually going to play a song called Communion Hymn by Keith and Kristen Getty that is about uh, us meditating 
on Christ the Lamb of God taking our sins away. So I encourage you, as you get the elements, meditate on the song that's playing. It's not unrelated to what we're doing today. Meditate on that, and then we're going to confess our sin, and we're going to receive grace and forgiveness, and we're going to go out with a fresh new start. Amen? And that's a reason for joy, folks. I know of no greater reason for, to celebrate the joy of Christmas than sins forgiven. What I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, I thank you that this morning as we have heard your word and we are reminded that even good King David, the man that you said before he'd even been anointed king, was a man after your own heart. The man that you chose to bring Messiah through, Lord, he sinned, just like we do. But Father, I thank you that you heard King David's prayer, and that you had mercy, and that you cleansed, and you forgave. And Father, I pray as we come to this table, and as we receive the body and the blood, as we receive these symbols, Lord, we are reminded and we receive fresh and new your grace and mercy and forgiveness that is given to us in Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, who takes away my sin. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, as the ushers come forward, and they're going to... Uh, Get the elements and pass them out. I encourage you, listen along to the communion hymn and meditate on Christ the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Father, as we come to this table this morning, we come like King David did, recognizing our sin. Lord Jesus, as we hold this bread this morning, we are reminded that you had to come and you had to become one of us so that you might bear the penalty due for our sin. This bread represents your body, the body of our flesh that you took. It was broken and it was crushed. And it bore the righteous wrath of a holy God against our sin. For we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has gone to his own way. But the Father was pleased to lay our iniquity and our guilt upon you, Lord Jesus. And you were pleased as the Lamb of God to take it and bear it away. So, Lord, this morning we confess 
our sin. As David said, surely we have been sinful from the moment we were conceived. And that has borne fruit throughout our lives. And Lord, rather than hiding it, we simply confess it. We pray, O oh God, have mercy upon us because of the Lamb of God. Take and eat. And Lord, as we hold up this cup of the covenant, we are reminded that this meal was originally part of the Passover. And that Jesus, when you took it with the disciples, you were telling them that all of the symbols of the Old Testament were coming true. And as we hold this cup, we are reminded that David pled for literal blood of literal lambs to be applied to him so that his sins might be forgiven. But Lord Jesus, as we hold this cup, we recognize we don't have to slay lambs again year after year. We do not have to go through rituals and ceremonies for you, Lord Jesus, are the true Lamb of God. You are the Lamb that was provided that we might live. You are the Passover Lamb who was slain that we might be freed. You are the one whose blood was shed that mercy might be given to us rather than judgment and death. And so, Lord, we lift up this cup recognizing that your death is our life. And so, Lord, for us, this cup is a cup of thanksgiving. And it is a cup of joy because we are the forgiven of God. Thanks be to God that the Lamb of God has come and has taken away our sin. Take and drink. Oh, Holy Father, how grateful we are that you are a compassionate and gracious and merciful God. Father, throughout the ages, we have created our own gods, and invariably those gods have been bloodthirsty. They have demanded that we pay the price by giving up our firstborn. But, oh Lord, you are the one who provided the lamb. They are gods who demanded that we shed our blood to appease the God. But Lord, it was you who came and shed your blood that we might be saved. Father, how grateful we are. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, how grateful we are. Holy Spirit of the living God, how grateful we are that you are a God of mercy and grace and compassion. And Father, this morning we receive your forgiveness with joy. We receive your mercy and your compassion. And Lord, we go forth this week with a fresh and new start. And Lord, I pray in a world that has so many fig leaves, in a world that is so quick to try and hide its sin, Father, I pray you would give us opportunities this week to tell people you can come out. God has come and has made a way. God himself has provided a lamb. Your sins are forgiven. God, let us ring forth with the good news.
this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll conclude with this word of benediction. And I again encourage you, next Sunday we'll have our kids singing. This is a great week. If you've been praying for someone, invite them to church for the coming week. Invite them to Christmas Eve so we can celebrate together in the goodness of our God and the gospel. Now receive the blessing of God, knowing that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that was handed down from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without defect or blemish. Go forth with joy under the blessing of your merciful God. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.